Welcome back to Lecture Me Not, the podcast that brings you closer to the professor. I'm your host, Ethan. So quick update, um, sorry for the delay. I've had a nasty cold in a midterm. It's been a tad hectic, and I should be back on schedule at this point. So PhD has a really nice ring to it, doesn't it? Doctor of Philosophy. But how much do you know about the workload that comes with it? Is it a potential career path you see yourself going into? I'm not quite sure myself. Even though I've been doing research for some time now, it feels like such a daunting path to take, mainly because I don't know what I'd be doing, at all. But it looks like that feeling isn't just for us undergrads, but for current PhD students as well. We'll be talking to Keith, a current PhD student, about his experiences in his program, and what he actually does as a PhD student. So, uh, today we have Keith with us. Um, he's currently a PhD student under the Vanderkoy lab. He actually supervises me for my research project, and he was my TA in HMB 200. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Cool. So, um, what do you actually do as a PhD student? I, I know that, like, you know, you do research and I do stuff under you, but what actually goes into the process of planning out kind of your project, experiments, and etc. So I guess a lot of grad school and a lot of the experience involves um, time, like sort of managing a lot of different tasks and a lot of different experiments because depending on the type of research that you're doing, you know, you kind of, you really need to plan things in advance. Um, in my case, with my research, things, experiments can take, you know, a month, maybe more than a month, and... You know, there's different things that you have to do during that one month or more period. And so, you know, you have to sort of really be good at scheduling everything and figuring out how it's going to fit into your schedule. So a lot of what I think grad students in, you know, who are doing like life science or natural science research, um, a lot of what they do is involves that sort of like time management, project management intensive stuff um and then i guess in terms of you know um other things that we do and you know is a whole lot of pipetting and a lot (laughs) a lot of working with mice and rats in my case um and a lot of uh mentorship with undergrads um and sort of junior graduate students so you mentioned um you work with rats and mice yep. um so what specifically do you do with the rats and mice that so i'm a neuroscientist um a, a behavioral neuroscientist what we study is uh, motivation so essentially the study of motivated behaviors so if you think about it um your motivation to uh seek a certain stimulus or avoid a, another stimulus may vary from one situation to another. So for example, um, in our case, we use, uh, we use drugs as um, a way to study motivation. So uh, if we think of, you know, probably most of your listeners, hopefully, um, most of them when they drink, they probably feel a buzz or some pleasure. And so they're, in a sense, positively reinforced to um, drink the next time because every time they drink they feel good and then you're reinforced to repeat the behavior because you feel good when you develop dependence um, over sort of uh, over time and with prolonged use uh, of any substance really what tends to happen is 
our motivation to seek the substance goes from positive reinforcement-based motivation to negative reinforcement-based motivation. What we mean by negative reinforcement is that the substance is reinforcing you to take it again because it's alleviating the aversiveness of withdrawal or cravings or what have you. It may seem like a nitpicky distinction, this distinction between positive and negative reinforcement, but for the brain, it's actually a crucial difference. So you can think of it as a Tylenol or Advil. You know, nobody's sort of taking those to, you know, have a good good time. You know, you don't hear about people taking Tylenol at Coachella or anything like that. Um, it, the reason is because it's not in and of itself. It's reinforcing only in, if you're experiencing a headache is what I'm right. saying, essentially, or if you're experiencing a pain of some sort that you need to alleviate. And that's that's an example of negative reinforcement. Um, and so the switch from positive reinforcement to negative reinforcement um, that happens in addiction is due to this change that happens in this uh, midbrain structure called the ventral tegmental area. And what we study is this population of inhibitory neurons, of GABA neurons, that we believe are responsible for switching um, your motivational state from a positive reinforcement-based motivational state to a negative reinforcement-based motivational state. And by studying this sort of thing in these, these specific cells, the hope is that we can sort of start to understand how our motivation to seek certain substances or avoid substances uh, may shift with prolonged and uh, repeated use. Cool. Um, so in terms of your project so far, what are the highlights and lowlights of your grad school experience so far? Not just your project, but the entire experience as a whole. So I think this is, I think every, like, every grad student may give you a slightly different answer. Um, for me, the highlights, let's start with those, um, or the sort of pros, I guess, or things I like are... Uh, I think the best thing about graduate school and about in a sense about doing research is that it is you're basically the amount of intellectual flexibility and freedom that is afforded to you is pretty high and what I mean by that is that you know assuming that you're working on a project that you give a shit about um, you are basically thinking of you're you're coming up with ideas you're coming up with hypotheses and your your job is to <clears throat> to give your ideas the time of day you really get to there's really not very many jobs where you have that sort of process where you get to sit down and you come up with all these sort of ideas about this really niche subject and you think, oh, I think this protein probably works this way, given the evidence in the literature. Let me come up with an experiment to test that. And your job is literally to spend a few years digging deeper and deeper into a problem that interests you. And I, hopefully, if you you know have a supportive uh, a supervisor, principal investigator of the lab, um, then you know you have some flexibility in terms of what you what experiments you get to do um you have they that 
the hope is that you're in a lab where you know they are willing to listen to your ideas and are willing to let you try something if it's a reasonable suggestion um i think that's the sort of best thing about being a grad student is that sort of feeling that wow i can really just follow through with my ideas and really think about them and try to discover something um cons i mean failure you fail a lot things don't work more often than not it's an environment where you are you're really intellectually challenged um and you may put so much time into an experiment or a series of experiments and then once you have something if you even do so when things don't fail um or you have something at least meaningful you might still end up with you know your your advisory committee might still not be so crazy about this thing that you spent literally months on um you very well may be rejected from when you submit your article or your manuscript to a journal um rejection is the norm in some sense and i think also you know this is perhaps depends also on the environment that you're working in but i think you know in academia there's a lot of especially when you're a grad student i feel like the the norm is that you know you're challenged you know people aren't just going to pat you on the back for for working really hard there's this culture of yeah of course you work more than eight hours a day so what everybody's done it mm -hmm. and so like that's the norm and so you end up in this situation where you're like wait a second i'm working my ass off and yet sometimes most of the time i don't really have much to show for because a lot of things don't work and if i do have things to show for well it's like you know it's like probably it takes a lot longer than you realize how long things take and so if you have any friends or people around you who aren't in academia or who don't do research they to them it seems kind of insane um that you know your amount of like the stipend that you're making is sort of like not you know it's enough to live on but it's it's not like great and that you're working that hard and mm -hmm. so it's it's often not the easiest thing to explain to people for sure but yeah, um, piggybacking off of that kind of, so how would you succeed otherwise as kind of a grad student or a researcher? How about we start, start with a, a step back. So if you're just starting grad school, it helps a lot to have had some uh, research experience in undergrad. And so getting some experience in undergrad is great. Um, and then the other thing is if you have like a, a sort of like a, a research scholarship in undergrad, that helps you a lot in grad school too. Not just in getting into grad school, but also in terms of getting scholarships to do research as a grad student. Because one scholarship is makes you a lot more likely to get the next one, which makes you a lot more likely to get the next one, etc., etc. And so first and foremost if you really are gunning for research and grad school then the earlier you start thinking about applying for for scholarships the better the earlier you start thinking about research and getting experience the better um so ncirc usra um, which is the undergraduate summer 
research award. Uh, that's something that if you apply for it on uh, your when you're doing research over the summer in your undergrad, that's great. You should definitely do that if you can. Um, and even if you don't get it, the experience of doing it is great because you it's going to be future sort of scholarship applications are going to be not that dissimilar. Um, and then in grad school, I would say <clears throat> to succeed, um, there's a lot of factors to be honest. You have to, you really learn a lot about yourself in grad school. I think every, like there's like slight differences between people. So for example, if you find yourself, if, if you're very conscientious and you um, are very uh, structured and you have a schedule that you would, uh, stick to, um, that's great. That's going to really come in handy uh, because a lot of environments where you do research, nobody, as I said earlier, nobody's going to tell you when to come in, when to do this. Nobody's going to you know, make sure that you're doing this when like a certain procedure when right. they expect you to. Um, and so you have to be able to really manage your own time and to be good about sticking to your schedule um, and planning ahead. If you're not good at that, <clears throat> then one thing I've realized over the years is working with other people is a great band-aid solution we all know band-aid solutions are what life is all about as you get older mm -hmm. <laughs> you just realize oh crap i'm not so great at this thing how about i figure out something else that i can deal that i could do to deal with this so if you for me when i collaborate whether with people other graduate students or whether it's mentoring undergrads it helps me a lot with um with basically planning ahead and sticking to a schedule because i don't want to let anybody down um really th that i would say that that's one major thing is how conscientious how like organized how structured you are about things um the other thing is um to succeed in grad school i would say really like i guess a, a, you need to think about how you communicate in science like how you present to your phd adv or your your advisory committee or how you um, right. Those are all forms of like different forms of communication, but it's mm -hmm. still communication. And I think it's, you know, people really, really put a lot of, a lot of emphasis on like how compelling you are as a speaker and how right. compelling you are as a writer. Um, I think speaker is generally more, you get a lot more cred if you're a good speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas writing is going to help you as well but i think especially in terms of like grants or, or, or scholarships that's where it really comes in handy so thinking about that and like trying to get feedback is really important because it really like helps you sort of you know i think it, it makes people actually want to listen to you give a talk and it, which means you get more feedback and you, it means you get more um feedback on like your actual science your experiments you get more opportunities to collaborate etc etc um so that's one big one and i think an important thing as well is to, to succeed is to to be ready for failures mm -hmm. and to have a support system or people you can talk to um because the reality is that it's i think a lot of like especially if you can't you know it depends on the environment you're in but it, you need to be able 
to have you need to have some support systems so you're so you're saying that phd students aren't just people that just sit in the lab and work 21st <laughs> yeah i'm saying that we're actually human believe it or not we're not just like grading you guys and like miserably and like you know giving you guys like fake grades that we didn't even like that are baseless no we actually we're human and we're damaged no i'm kidding we're great <laughs> we're great we're so healthy um <laughs> um but yeah no i think i think it's definitely important to have a support system one of the most common things that you'll you'll hear about in grad school is how everybody feels like an imposter, imposter syndrome, right? And grad school is literally the most conducive environment for that experience to feel like an imposter. Why? Because you work your ass off, things often don't work, and you don't know whether they're not working because, I don't know, you messed something up. Or they're not working because even the protocol that you followed for a certain procedure, you followed it like to a T and it still didn't work. But maybe the protocol wasn't a great protocol and it's something you need to modify. You Maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but you don't know that for a fact. And so you feel like you, messed, you must have messed something up, mm-hmm. especially when somebody else is doing something similar-ish and they're getting it to work so you must be an idiot the other thing is that you'll see other people around you that are having more progress in their own projects and even though their project is different and therefore the odds may be better in their case that things will work out because maybe the hypothesis was closer like more likely to work the experiments were more likely to work you don't know that so you feel like oh maybe i'm just terrible at what i'm doing and then you go to a committee meeting or like a where you present to your phd advisory committee or your advisory committee in general and you um you know their job is to sort of give you feedback and a lot of that is sort of like you know their critiques a lot of the time and so you feel like nothing you do is good enough a lot of the time and so you feel like surely i'm just terrible at this Mm -hmm. right but the reality is that almost everybody feels that way anyways um (laughs) honestly though there's like something very odd about being a scientist and not feeling like an idiot because literally you're trying to answer something that hasn't been answered and you struggle to figure out whether you're getting closer to the answer or whether you're meandering about and you're nowhere closer and it takes a while to even make that distinction and that makes you feel stupid and if that doesn't make you feel stupid then you're an anomaly and so if you feel like an idiot and you just started to do research whether you're a grad student or undergrad or what have you just know that you're actually in good company and most people actually feel that way right um, actually, I'm going to jump back to um, a point that you said earlier about communication. So the kind of like, what is it? Sometimes the whole rumor about life science students is that we suck at writing and we suck at communicating because we don't really take communications classes or literacy classes in general. And I feel like we kind of bring that on to ourselves where... Um, we don't really attempt to write a lot or read a lot, even though we have papers to read. And but um, so how important do you think it is for for the curriculum to include kind of a communications or literacy course in 
in life sciences or other sciences too i think it's really important i think it's at the end of the day you know if you're an undergraduate in the life sciences or whatever sciences you don't know for sure where you're going to end up yet in terms of your career and communication is important wherever you go and if you could communicate complex science to a wide range of audiences that's pretty useful and it probably means that you your communication abilities aren't necessarily field specific i would argue because you're basically able to distill complex ideas into something that's comprehensible to um to to people who have no background in the in the in the field and the topic or what have you um i think that people are afraid of presentations um because partly because probably at a university like U of T, you don't really, in undergrad, at least when I was in life science, uh, doing my undergrad at U of T, I didn't have that many presentations to give until like my, maybe, you know, I probably gave like one presentation my first year, one in my second, then like maybe a couple in third and fourth. And you really like, it, I feel like the anxiety from like presenting is it doesn't really go away until you just present a lot mm-hmm. um it's like exposure therapy you just do it and also i think one thing that helps is just seeing other people present because when you see other people present um a lot of people are really that great <laughs> and so you're like okay and like nobody really cares really it's just that if you're great people notice Mm -hmm. um and that's just with presenting with writing you mentioned writing as well i would say that the problem i think the onus isn't solely on on the students or on even the i would argue not just on the universities perhaps it's science scientific writing is very formulaic it's really really dry and you know, we could talk all day about how we feel about that, that it's just so just, you know, it's very like, we did this. This is what we saw. This is what we saw. This is what we think it means. La, 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 yeah. la, la, la. It's not the most interesting thing per se. No, definitely not. It's it's but I guess the, the objective is to just kind of place the emphasis on the content rather than on the sort of the language. And so I think the, what I would say is that that's, that kind of makes you as a, you know, I think it's good to have sort of exposure to different styles of writing or to take in your undergrad to take courses where you, you know, whether it's because you're writing different styles or it's because you're reading different styles that Mm -hmm. aren't just scientific writing. I think that's useful. But in reality, most of the stuff you'll write in in grad school in the life sciences will be that sort of formulaic stuff. But sometimes when you're like writing things for blog posts, yeah, blog posts. And if you're trying to sort of, you know, create content for people who aren't experts in the field, which is, you know, something that is really enjoyable, in my opinion, that I've dabbled with. Um, then you, yeah, you need to be able to write in a 
fun way, you know, like a like a science journalist rather than like a scientist. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you did your undergrad at U of T, right? Yep. Um, so when did you actually start your undergrad at U of T? Oh God, I've been here for way too long. Um, I started in 2007. I had just moved from the Middle East. So I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then I, I finished high school there and then I moved to Canada, moved to Toronto to attend U of T in 2007. And then, yeah, I've been at U of T ever since I, am in my sixth year of grad school, hopefully my last. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's been 11 years total at U of T. So it's, uh, it's time. I, uh, but I guess in a sense, one of the things that's positive about this is that I've been on both sides. Um, I've been the undergrad, um, believe it or not, things really haven't changed that much since I was an undergrad, <clears throat> i.e. between 2007 and 2012. And I think that gives me some kind of I, th- I think it gives me some ability to relate with my students and to sort of see their perspective because I think a lot of the struggles of undergraduates are relatable to me. Right. Um, especially in the sense in, 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 in terms of how they pertain to the U of T experience in particular. Um, I get it. And so, you know, I think there's that kind of helps... Um, in establishing the rapport that I have with my students. And what was it like when you moved from Saudi Arabia to Canada in terms of just differences that you saw? I mean, it was challenging because I really didn't have any friends here. I didn't know anybody. I I mean, my sister was already living in Toronto, but, you know, she... I didn't really know, I didn't have any friends other than, you know, the only person I knew was my sister. So, you know, and she's, she's 11 years older than I am. So, you know, she was well past like attending undergrad. Um, it was tough. It was a lonely experience. Um, but, and it was, it was a bit of a, it was just a major shift in terms of like, just the academic environment too in terms of you know i mean i went to saudi school so you know we didn't we did everything in arabic basically we had english of course and 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 you know it's not like i wasn't fluent in the language but even just learning you know doing math or calculus in english was like kind of a shift you know it's weird and we we did calculus from right to left it was like you know and like it's it's you would think it's not that different because it's just like it's not yeah it's like math right but it was it took me longer it took me longer and i don't know it was just not that it was it took a while to adjust um but i feel like the biggest struggle was just like not knowing people um and it took me about a year to really make solid friendships mm-hmm. and i'd like to believe i'm a pretty outgoing guy but i think you know u of t is, is predominantly composed of commuters and at the undergraduate level and so um people you know you kind of show up on campus i was a commuter so i'd show up on campus 
go to classes or labs and then I'd go home and, you know, I'd try to interact with people, but everything felt kind of very polite, you know, but like not, it took a while to establish close, close friendships. Um, I relied on sort of a, uh, a now defunct uh, message board uh, called Biome. Think of it as like the subreddit for U of T, except like, I don't know. Um, old? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Old and less computer science heavy. So like I, I utilize those kind of resources more to meet people. I was involved in some clubs and I tried to sort of meet people that way. By my second year, I like had more friends. I socialized more. And I did better in class because I just started studying differently. I, I, I realized, I learned, I know it's a cliche, but I, there really is a distinction between studying smart and studying hard. And I guess I started to understand what the expectations were a little better. I started talking to people who took the courses in previous semesters or years and asked them sort of what to expect. Um... And, you know, I just sort of, that's, that's around, that's really when Toronto started feeling like home is when I realized that, oh, I can, I can pull it off here too. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like I belonged partly because of the academic improvements in academic sort of standing, if you will. And, in tr but mainly in terms of just feeling like. I was getting to know people and I was mm -hmm. getting to make a lot of friends and whatnot. Right. And would you say that your undergrad experience or so far like your entire experience at U of T was a positive one? I'd certainly, certainly consider it a net positive. And I'm not just saying that because of the U of T based podcast, <laughs> but I think that uh, it largely stems from the fact that I love this city and I love that U of T is sort of embedded in the heart of downtown Toronto but the other thing is that I'm, I'm kind of biased right because I do research as much as I have you know my sort of uh, some of some frustrations with with academia um, I still obviously adore science and love research in some aspects <laughs> and so U of T is obviously a great place to be if you want to be if you want to have some exposure to different types of research, if you want to try out, try working in like internationally renowned labs. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other universities that have internationally mm -hmm. renowned labs. That's that would be completely untrue. But U of T is certainly a great place to be for that sort of thing. And also, you know, Toronto's it's just it's a great place to be. And I think like, you know. You can, it really f depends on what your priorities are. I think if you're sort of, if you really just want the grades, then to be completely frank, you know, I know it's a stereotype. I haven't attended other schools, so maybe it's not fair for me to make this assessment. But, you know, it might be tough to, you know, you might be up against some chat. Comp stiffer competition. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it depends on your program, of course. It's not like everything at U of T is just, like, impossible. That's certainly not true. In fact, I think most courses are pretty reasonable. Um, some are pretty challenging. But most are very reasonable. And I think, like, 
I think it's really important to sort of sit down and think about what your goals are. And it's hard to figure out what your goals are, of course, at this stage. In fact, even at my stage, sometimes I ask myself, what the heck am I going to do after grad school? I don't know for sure. Um, but we all have best guesses, I think, when we think about it. Mm-hmm. And a best guess might be really all you have. But if your best guess points you in one direction, i.e. you really care about your CGPA because, you know, your goals are professional school and you need really good grades or whatnot, then sure, whatever. Don't let people tell you what you should do. If you get that kind of judgment, honestly, fuck them. Like, like it doesn't matter. Just do what you want to do and don't let people stop you. Um, I think that's really what it boils down to. There's like, there's certainly a ton of people who go to U of T and get really good grades. Even I did it. I had a terrible GPA in my first year and not a great GPA at the beginning of my second year, but I pulled it up to like an A minus average. And granted, maybe that's not good enough for some really competitive programs, Mm -hmm. but I was okay with that. And, but if I, if I was gunning for something that was more competitive, Mm -hmm. then yeah, I would have, I would have probably either changed my program or gone to a different school and any judgment, you know, that I'd have experienced, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't have had any of like, I wouldn't have any of it. Like, because like nobody really understands what, like, you don't really need to listen to people if they do that. It's like, just focus on your goals. Your academic experience is your own problem, especially in undergrad. You're not like responsible for other students like mm-hmm. you would be in grad school. So just do you. Don't let the judgment get to you. Just do you. Think about your goals and then think about how how you can achieve those goals and then do it. All right. Um, I guess this leads pretty well into my like final point of um, if you had to give your top three tips for undergrads, just in general, whether they be cooking tips or survival <laughs> tips or places to nap, um, what would be your kind of like top three? First of all, I would say socialize. There's a lot more to life than academia and to school. I know that sounds almost like perhaps not inconsistent but it doesn't totally follow from what yeah, i was coming just from a grad student <laughs> we have a social life some of us but um yeah socialize meet people whether it's at the university or elsewhere meet people you know why because no matter where you are you're gonna learn a lot from the people you know you're gonna you're gonna learn about opportunities you're gonna be able to help people your life is gonna have a lot more I don't know. I don't know. It's just it, it, there's a lot more to life if you it, than than just school. There's a lot more to life than just school. You're going to basically by meeting people, you're going to have a bigger support system and you're going to I don't know. It just like adds color to your life a little bit. Um the other thing I would say is if you are interested in something that one of your professors or a TA you know does then talk to them 
or if you have if you need advice from a, from an instructor or from a TA ask be assertive and be determined and deliberate in your actions because it's easy to feel alone in undergrad it's easy to feel like you're just a number right um so just look out for yourself and there's a lot of ways you can do that but one of them is to just like if you think you like what some professor you know is working on then like talk to them ask them if they have like some time to chat like just be you know just be a go-getter don't be annoying you know be respectful be nice be polite don't be extra but like (laughs) you know but like just yeah just i don't know be a go-getter um and then a third thing i would say is have some have more than one action plan or have one have more than one direction or possible direction what i mean by that is don't gun for one thing and then just put all your eggs in that one basket the reality is that there's a lot of cool things you can do it's just that they're not the the paths aren't paved for you so you have to figure it out which is a lot but one thing you can do is sort of like go this and they give this people give this advice to grad students to go on linkedin see what people are doing who graduated from your program what are they doing where have they ended up and then just like if somebody has a job that you think is cool and they had a similar ish educational trajectory to yours then message them be like hey how did you get to where you are do you mind do you want to have a coffee on me 15 minute or 30 minute chat and just like having what they call an informational interview and talk to them and see how they got to where they got and by doing so you sort of start to realize what paths are ahead of you and then you have more baskets to put your eggs Mm -hmm. in Um, because if you put all your eggs in one basket and then that doesn't work out you're gonna feel like crap and then you're going to probably like last minute be like, oh, maybe I'll do grad school. And then you're for sure going to be miserable because you didn't you because if you didn't really know you liked some aspect of it and you signed up for it, you're probably it'll be a lot. So just be more deliberate. Like I said before, just try to be more deliberate in your actions and have some plans, some paths, you know, medical school. A lot of people want to go to medical school. That's fine. Just like. And then figure out how what you what steps you need to take to make that sort of goal materialize, and then have the other direction be something, you know, something else. You want to work in some biotech startup or something. You found somebody on LinkedIn who's has this cool job at a biotech startup, and you talk to them, and they give you a sense of what steps you need to take from where you are right now to make it in that field or in that type of a job or work environment and so you like kind of map that out as well and then once you have like three at least um you don't need to like them equally but when you have different directions things feel a lot less scary because you have options right and not all options are like you know made equally but things feel Life feels a lot less scary when you're more deliberate and you're more, you know, intentional about everything. Right. So that's what I'd say. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Talking with you. 
Thanks for tuning in to Lecture Me Not. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast hosting apps. This time around, our next guest interview is a bit up in the air due to their schedules being busy, but it will be another professor in the life sciences department, specifically in the human biology department. Until next time, lecture's over.